Today's readings are 2 Kings 2, 1 through 12, and Mark 9, 2 through 9. They can be found on your screen. This is God's word. 2 Kings 2, 1 through 12. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. As he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Mark 9, 2 through 9. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led him up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had been risen from the dead. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly God, as we explore these ancient words, these ancient encounters, 
may it be as if we're encountering you and that as in our mind sometimes we have a sense that it's almost as if we are hearing something of an echo of a voice from you may you remove all doubt this morning that that is true and that your voice can be heard through the clutter and the noise the noise of all the news and the noise of all our plans and the noise of all our obsessions and our worries. Your voice can pierce through all of it and speak grace. That even though we're more of a mess than we care to admit, that through Jesus, we are more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. May that gospel come alive for us in our time together this morning. Amen. Let me talk about these passages for about 12, 13 minutes. Who is Jesus? The question was asked to me recently by someone who, was, who I had just met. And it was a sincere question. You know, who, how do I think about this Jesus? Is it is Jesus God? Is that like, or human? How do I think of Jesus? And let me just zero in on that part about is Jesus God? And say that I think whether, whether you're exploring Christianity, you're looking at it to some way still evaluating or at the beginning of exploring or whether you are, would call yourself a Christian. I think that question, is Jesus God? I think today's passage forces us to reckon with the fact that that question should haunt us every day. It should be something that is very important to our life. And in a sense, you should wake up to it every morning. I'm not trying to say, you know, you're a bad person or you're a failure if you don't. But I do want to elevate that question this morning, not because I want to elevate it, but because I think this passage elevates it. In our world today, the way we look at things often has, when someone comes to me with a question like that, a huge weighty question about the identity of Jesus, also along in the same conversation, some other things, other big questions will come up that feel like they're all kind of part of the mix of the big questions we deal with each day. So one might, on the one hand, ask, uh, whether Jesus is God, and then a little bit later in the conversation say, well, and, and what about Trump? Isn't he awful? Or Trump, isn't he great? <laughs> Maybe more the former in most of the people I run into in Sacramento. Or in the same conversation, someone might bring up their finances. Oh, I wish they had gone this way. Or I feel bad about you know, maybe there's some church messages in the, knocking around in their brains about um, giving money away. And, oh, I don't do that. Or maybe they bring up in the same relationship, uh, the same uh, conversation, they bring up a rom their romantic life. And there might be a feeling of wondering, what does God think of this or that? Or maybe there's a falling out in a relationship that's really important. Maybe a family relationship, a work relationship that just burns and hurts and is a, a burden every day. Or maybe they bring up some current contemporary important issue like systemic racism. So, oh, and also, is Jesus divine? You know, it's kind of like there's these all these questions and we've got all of these important questions and usually how we end up looking at 
the question of Jesus being divine is just another one of the many bits that we're trying to place. We're trying to settle all these little important pieces together into our own co collection of what is right and what is wrong and where are we supposed to land? Hi, Elijah. Where are we supposed to land in all of these things? And so we're all left with this job of placing these things all into a collection. And in midst there is Jesus. Is Jesus divine? And I want to suggest that that's maybe not the best way. This passage would suggest this isn't the best way to look at it. These passages start with Elijah, the prophet. Go, you know, he's trying to get get his protege, uh, Elisha. I love how Joanna pronounced it. I was going to pronounce it Elisha, but Elisha is probably closer to the ancient language way of saying it. So we didn't we didn't talk on that, but that was really cool, Joanna. So as Elijah and Elisha. Um, are going along. Elisha's the protege. Elijah gets taken up into the whirlwind and drops his cloak. Ancient word for that, more English language word for that, mantle. We don't really use that word very much anymore, but this, this story gave us the phrase, take up the mantle. You've heard people talk about this. It's a, it's a phrase we use. It came from this story. And Elisha takes up the mantle of Elijah, puts the cloak on, and so he's the one walking away from that story. Elijah's gone. He's the only one left. He's walking away from it. He's got the mantle. The one wearing the mantle is the one now to watch, the one to anticipate power coming from, the one to pay attention to and to consider. So when Jesus goes up onto this mountain, he takes Peter, James, and John with him. And there on the mat, there's Elijah again. And when the cloud comes, Elijah and Moses are there. When the cloud comes and the voice from heaven comes down, when the cloud disappears, so does Elijah. Again, Elijah's gone. So is Moses is gone. And who's left to come down? Who has the mantle, as it were? It's Jesus. He's the one now to listen to. He's the one now to anticipate power coming from. He's the one to watch and to follow. In the day when this happened, the audience... Peter, James, John, they were good young Jewish men. They had a worldview. We know this very well. And, and Jesus revealed himself particularly into a culture and into a worldview. And that worldview told Peter, James, and John how to think of what was happening. And so to them, in their framework, since Moses was this epic symbol of one phase of God's salvation history, Moses. And then Elijah was another epic, historic kind of figurehead of God's salvation work. You have these two salvation agents showing up. And so in the framework of Peter, James, and John, simply I'm saying this, Jesus can be no less than a new salvation agent. He might even be more. I'm going to get to that in a second. But at the very least for Peter, James, and John, who is Jesus? It's, see, this story is very clear. Jesus is the next salvation agent. Not just political agent. Not just, you know, friend, agent, you know, nice guy. No, salvation. That's heavy. That's heavy. That means something's wrong. We need that. We're in great need. We need saving. Okay, so that's, the very least, that's who Jesus is, God's salvation instrument. But here's a few things that point to a little bit more. Number one, the voice in the cloud. Um, maybe you caught the language. 
to Peter, James, and John, they would have caught it, but it also would have been just extremely confusing. They wouldn't have known what to do with it because the voice from the cloud, who we assume, I don't know how many times you've heard a booming voice from the sky, but you're probably going to think, divine? <laughs> God, you know, either like a airplane up there with a giant sound system megaphone or, you know, God Almighty. So, you know, in their minds, this is the voice of God coming out of the cloud. And what that God says is new. It says, this is my son. This is my beloved son. Now that's new because, you know, Moses or Elijah or any, any given person wouldn't have been talked about that way anywhere in the scriptures. So the, the Jewish scriptures didn't prepare Peter, James, and John to understand what that meant. My son? God's son? It's new, it's perplexing, and yet it, it, make, it makes them wonder, is he a little bit more than just a salvation agent? And then Jesus himself, at the end of the story, verse 9 we read, and even in verse 10, which, or 12, which we didn't read, Jesus talks about himself as the Son of Man. That's his favorite messianic title. There were, there were multiple in his day. For example, he could have talked about himself as the Son of David. There were multiple titles, and the people of Peter, James, and John's day were, if they were good Jewish religious people, they had aspirations that a, a human would come along and, and lead them in victory and bring them to salvation again. And they packed a lot of specifics to that, and that weren't maybe necessarily what God's intention was. And so they would take some of the common words like son of David and so forth, and they would assume what that meant. So Jesus takes a very obscure term that is hardly used, the Son of Man. He grabs it out of Daniel. It is a messianic term. It's just not like the headline term that's used. And so it has, it's untarnished with all the barnacles of daily narratives. And he uses that term to talk about himself. So at the very least, it's messianic. He's a saving force of the people, but he's going to pack new meaning into that. And then third, so we have the voice from heaven saying, my son. We have Jesus saying, he's the son of man. And then third, we have this, this, this would have been really confusing to Peter, James, and John, is that he says, don't tell anybody about this until I rise, the son of man rises from the dead. And to Peter, James, and John, they had no, again, no scriptural context really to understand what that meant. Moses didn't rise from the dead. Elijah didn't rise. None of these greats from the Old Testament rose from the dead. What does this mean? Somehow this Jesus, this son of man, Jesus guy is going to have power over the grave. Now, most of this stuff was just utterly confusing to them, but it was also all the ways in which this story is cracking open our imaginations and our wondering. More than anything, it's not making a doctrinal statement. It's just, it's just forcing us to peel open the question, could Jesus be greater than just human? And if you haven't asked that question, if you haven't chased down that question in a while, I suggest you do. Maybe it's just by reading through one of the Gospels, such as this short Gospel of Mark that we're in right now. And if you did, I would say, suggest one of the fun things to do would be to just do it in a week or do it even in an afternoon if you have three hours or two hours. And just jot down on a little notepad, maybe the verse references. Whenever you come across something where Jesus' identity is kind of embedded somehow in the conversation, usually it's going to be controversial or confusing, but anywhere where it's flirting with the idea of who is Jesus, jot down and you'll be surprised by the end how many times. That seems to be huge. Jesus wants to provoke and get us wondering who really is he. 
And you'll notice in many of those encounters, it's dangerous to really flirt with and, and check out and consider Jesus's true identity. It gets dangerous. In verse 9, Jesus tells his disciples, don't tell anyone about what just happened. Because this story is one of the clearest examples of showing that Jesus is more than human. And so he tells us, hey, not yet. <laughs> don't spread the word yet. It's a dangerous truth. And it's, it's dangerous in our lives today, friends. I think that carries right on over to our exploration, waking up every morning and wondering, who is this Jesus? It's going to be dangerous for you if you apply it. It's going to be a deadly topic. It's going to kill many of your former comforts if you really let the question carry out to all its implications. It's going to bury some of your former priorities if you consider Jesus might be more than just a human. It's going to upturn and rearrange all of the bits that you've been assembling into some kind of acceptable right and wrong outlook. Because the one with the mantle comes to dismantle. The one with the mantle comes to dismantle. So as you go about assembling all your bits and constructing your casual assortment of things in your mental affirmations such as going to church is good, discriminating is bad, voting is good, but you got to vote this way, of course, and you have to be sensitive about this issue. And maybe if you're in church, you have to give 10% of your income. And if you're, you know, on and on and on, allow a bigger truth to seep into all of those important important questions. Who is Jesus? And not and if you don't do that when what you're left with is religion. I'm always whenever someone is talking about faith or spiritual things and they they talk about someone else's faith as religion, I always get a little kind of disappointed. Oh, this, it's sort of this tepid way of just describing a bunch, an assortment of casual collection of bits. And now oh, those, those are the bits that are important to you. They're not really important to me, but good on you. You've got your kind of collection of bits that work for you. And that's so tepid and so safe compared to what we're talking about today. The dangerous reality that Jesus is more than human. Let's pray. Heavenly God, may these words challenge us and may they lead us into a season on Wednesday, a season of Lent, where we really ponder our place before you, our hurts and our wounds and our struggles and our burdens, and how you can do so much more than what just a guru or a teacher could do for us. And we pray that as we approach in a little bit the communion table, that that may come real even more for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.